two, episode number seven, One Golden Moment Podcast, Justice Del Santos, Max Metamire, Lucy Schaefer, Joey Patton, aka Hosa Patron, we got the full squad, and making his podcast debut, not even his podcast debut, his sports editor debut, Spencer Galanka, welcome to the building, aka Spencer Beats. Thank you. Was that the only two words you're going to say in this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I've said my piece and shout my time has come. Uh, shout out to Spencer for leaving me alone on the one day we have a production this week. Uh, yep. Sp- you want to tell the story real quick of how you yeah, uh, so, harassed um, one Joey Votto? Yeah, one, one lad at the A's game last night had too many drinks and decided to climb on top of the Reds' dugout after the A's hit a home run, or after, after the A's hit a walk-off home run, and uh, try and ask Joey Votto, as he came to the dugout, what happened. And he purposely was looking away, acting like he was interested in the A's celebration, when he really wasn't. He was just scared of answering my question. Are you saying he was trying to duck you? Yeah, I think basically. We're, I think we're going to have to throw that audio in the podcast. I think, I think <laughs> it's going to be worth it. <laughs> so, and this one, you know, we got a lot to talk about, as usual. We're going to talk about uh, Cal Sweep Utah to win against UCF. And the upcoming series against a little team down in Palo Alto by the name of Stanford. You might have heard of them before. But as always, we'd like to begin the podcast by you know, going over a little recap of what had happened over the past weekend. Cal's currently 28-15, and 13-8 in conference play. Winners of 17 of their last 21 games. Currently at 34 in the RPA. Enjoy. What was the... What was, what was their ranking heading into that UCLA series way back when? I want to say it was 64 going into the UCLA series. It's quite a little bit of jump. That's mm-hmm. how you go from a bubble team to you know, a contender. So game one, Cal defeats Utah 8-4. to four, And you know, the top of Cal's lineup was relatively quiet. You know, one through five, not really making a lot of noise. But Sam Wesniak and Grant Holman provided some juice at the bottom of that lineup. Wesniak and Holman hit a home run each, drove in three runs each, accounting for six of Cal's eight runs. With Stottenborough starting on Monday in that BYU game we talked in the last podcast, this was not a you know some of the typical rotations that we've seen, so it was really a bullpen game. Armand Sabori gets stretched out a little bit, goes 3.2 innings, strikes out four. Then the combination of Sean Sullivan, Jack Delmore, Jack Volger, and Rogelio Reyes combines for 5.1 innings of scoreless uh, in relief. Uh, there was four on and runs that were attributed to Sullivan, but other than that, they did a really solid job of keeping Cal in that game. Uh, game number two was another game where, you know, Cal's one through five hitters really weren't getting it done at the plate. And it was also another game where we saw some, you know, late game heroics. You know, last Friday we had Quentin Selma and Corey Lee hitting the game tying and the walk-off home runs. And this, pat- this past Saturday with Cal down 4-3, Grant Holman rips a double to tie the game. Connor Mack, who, you know, more known for his fielding than his hitting, comes to the plate in a pinch hit appearance and rips a go-ahead two-run home run that eventually propels Cal to that lead. And then not only did Holman tie up that game with his bat, he finished it up with his arm, throwing a scoreless bottom of the ninth, recording the first save of his Cal career. And, you know, this is a Saturday game. You'll notice that I you know, I said Holman, he pitched an inning. And, you know, Saturday games the past couple weeks have been dominated by Jared Horn, but Jared Horn finally, he finally proved that he's human. Only, quote-unquote, only going six innings, allows three earned runs, uh, walking three, striking out four, but a solid performance nonetheless. Uh, game number three... As I mentioned in those first two games, those one through five hitters were relatively quiet. You know, those first two games they scored 14 runs despite, you know, their really big hitters being quiet. But 
that third game of the series, they really flex their collective muscles in a 13 to 6 onslaught to really cap off the series sweep. The one through five hitters, Cameron Eden, Corey Lee, Andrew Vaughn, Quentin Selma, and Max Flower, combined for eight hits and nine RBI. Those hits weren't cheapies either. Eden, Lee, and Flower all went yard once, and Vaughn left the ballpark twice. And then the USF game on uh, Tuesday. This game was, it had the makings of a blowout. Cal has a four-run first inning, but, you know, San Francisco begins to really creep back into the game. At one point, it's a 5-4 game. And, you know, from a macro perspective, you're looking at this as, oh, like, if Cal loses this game, this can be huge for the RPI. And, you know, I wrote the recap for this game, and my theme was, you know, Cal needed a spark. And the spark came, you know, in the form of a, a little Louis Vuitton Don, Darren Baker, <laughs> uh, with the daring steal of home. Not the traditional steal of home where you have a lefty and you go on, you know, get that huge jump, but... Uh, San Francisco's pitcher tries to backpick Sam Wesniak at first. Darren takes off on first movement, swipes that, swipes home. And that's, I think it was the second run of five unanswered runs that really propelled Cal to a 10-5 win. So, you know, as we mentioned throughout this, they've won all four games of this past weekend and on this Tuesday series. And now to get into uh, some of the more big picture stuff, you know, Max, you mentioned uh, we were talking a lot in the last podcast about how Cal, you know, really needed this weekend. And, you know, I mentioned the point that this could sneakily be one of their most important weekends of the rest of this season just because it's sort of their final tune-up. And, you know, these are the games that you have to win as a contender. Yeah, absolutely. And just to carry that momentum into the Stanford series as well. Like, it's important for them in this next series of games not to be limping in you know, falling three times at the hands of kind of a Utah team that we all know they should beat. They should clean up pretty easily. Um, and yeah, last week we were just talking about how this is kind of a game that's saving face for them in the RPI rankings. It's saving face for them just sort of the eye tests and the selection committee as well. And also a series where they could work out some of the kinks. And I think they had some people that, you know, not normally in the stat sheet that much or not normally catch your eye on the field um, step up in situations like that, which is important. Yeah, I agree. I think this series was super important because it also kind of highlighted the team's personal growth over the course of the season. I think there was a couple times that we've discussed on this podcast, such as the infamous fall to Sacramento State, where earlier in the team, maybe they weren't as well developed enough to take every single game that they should take. And I think the fact that they've been able to do this seamlessly this weekend was just a really important show of their overall development mm-hmm. over the course of the season. Absolutely. And never, you never got to lose sight of, you know, the idea that anytime you're playing conference ball, it's do or die. I mean, these are crucial games you're playing. This is a chance to move up in the standings as they did after this win. You lose that series, that could be detrimental. You know, you're competing with the best teams in the country. You got Oregon State, you got Stanford, you got UCLA. You want to show you can hang with the big dogs, you got to be able, you know, compete in those games. We also have to be able to beat the teams you're supposed to beat. You go into a series in Utah, an unranked team who's not really too hot, I mean, you know, that could tank you if you're going to lose that series. So props to these guys for playing up to the occasion and really stepping it up. You know, we see on some occasions where you'll have a team that's really clicking on all cylinders and it seems as if they can do no wrong. And, you know, these types of series can have that feeling of, you know, being a little bit of a trap in that, you know, you take it for granted in a sense. And, you know, you kind of did see that a little bit in the second game of the series, which, you know, it was a bit of a concern in that Cal's main hitters, they weren't really up to snuff in that game. 
I don't remember what the exact stats were, but I just remember as I was writing the recap for that series, they were all relatively quiet. But even with that being said, you do have players at uh, the bottom of the lineup who really pick those guys up. And one of the things that I've constantly noticed with New is he also, or head coach Mike New, is he also makes it a point to reference how this team is really playing for each other. They're not playing for themselves. They're not playing selfishly. He constantly makes it a point. Almost every interview that I do with him, it's like these guys are playing for one another. And on a game, especially in a game like game two, where, you know, if they lose that game, you know, it might not completely sink their chances at the postseason, but that could have major postseason implications. To see guys at the bottom of the order being able to step up in that manner, I think it's a real testament to how New has really instilled this idea of, you know, be more than yourself, you know, really focus on the name that's on the front, not the name that's on the back. Well, they don't have names on the back, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think um, one thing that I've heard in talking to some of the players is how well of a job Mike New has actually done in instilling that mentality in them. I talked to Sam Wesniak before the Arizona series, and, and basically the point he was drilling home to me was that um, offensively, no matter what kind of day anyone's having in the lineup, they trust the guy behind them to pick them up. So it takes a lot of pressure off them offensively knowing that, all right, I don't need a big hit right now. I don't need uh, kind of a clutch hit in this moment. Uh, just put put together good at-bats, and the guys behind me will get the job done. So I don't really mean to jump the gun here, but I think this is a really good time to kind of get into our – players of the week that we chose because I think a few of us chose to highlight different players who were at the bottom half of the lineup and that really did some big stuff this year, this weekend. Um, so I can start. My player of the week is Grant Holman. Uh, we kind of talked about the home run that he had um, but on Friday but also the other two doubles that he got on both Saturday and Sunday that came on really crucial times. Um, he recorded the save on Saturday's game, as Justice said, the first one of the season, the first one of his collegiate career in general, um, and then also recorded the win for his two innings that he pitched in the USF game yesterday. Um, so I think I really wanted to highlight Holman because I feel like he's just kind of proved himself as the jack-of-all-trades in a sense. You know, he's really grown into the designated hitter role. But then at the same time, even within the same game, he's hitting, pitching, and just doing impressive things with both. So he's my player. And if I can jump in on that um, uh, super quick, this was just like a general thought that I had uh, throughout, you know, just watching him play over the last couple of weeks. But I think he's really flashing that potential to be one of the best players in the Pac-12 later down the line because you start talking about guys who can both get it done at the plate and on the mound, you know, maybe flashback to last season with Dodson. Uh, I want to throw a stat at y'all because I was, I was noticed he was hot, but I didn't really understand how much until I really went back and looked at it. So heading into April, he had an average of 205. I think he had a bad first game of April too. That really brought it down to 190. Currently, his batting average sits at 310, and so since the start of April, he's been hitting 400 even. And, you know, you listing him as the player of the week, I just felt like it was worth throwing that out there. Yeah, definitely. That's, like, a super interesting stat. You know, light 400. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> it's casual. Cody Bellinger over here. Um, all right, so moving into my player of the week, I have the hero of game two listed on mine right now. 
and going, Connor Mack. Now, here's the analogy I like to think of when I was looking at Connor Mack. David Freeze, third baseman for the Cardinals for a long time. Max, you know as well as anyone, because for those of oh, you yeah. who listening, Max is a big Cardinals fan. David yeah. Freeze was always a pretty average, slightly above average player. He was an all-star once in his entire career. Not the most notable dude, but you know what? Everyone knows who David Freeze is. Why? He got a chance to shine. He had a situation. He came into the World Series. He had a triple, and then he had a walk-off home run. And to this day, everyone knows David Freeze, and he's regarded as one of the clutchest players of our time. Connor Mack, he's not an excellent player. He's hitting 221. He plays solid defense, but he's not blowing anyone away, you know? Here's the thing. Connor Mack got an opportunity. He comes into a tie ball game in the eighth inning in a do-or-die series. What does he do? He hits a home run. He's the hero of the game. You get a moment like that, and you can step in, and you can make your mark on the series. That's enough to earn the player of the week in my book. Yeah, man, I love that analogy. I mean, you could compare anyone to David Freeze, and I would like that analogy. I'm not, <laughs> not going to lie. Uh, last night I was I was watching uh, highlights of um, the forgotten game of Chris Carpenter's career that sparked David Freeze's run. Just total sidetrack, game five of the NLDS. Um, yeah, so I was – I like that analogy, man. Um, also, local kid from San Jose, Bay Area kid, David Freeze from St. Louis, did as a Cardinal. Um but I'll get into my player of the week right now. Um, Lucy, it's kind of along the same lines. Um, I picked Sam Wesniak. No coincidence there. I was talking about him earlier. I just kind of watched him this week. He went, he hit 500, three RBI, four runs with a triple and a home run, a couple singles that were productive in producing runs. Um, he's just one of those guys that I think gets lost in the shuffle. And I think you mentioned that, um, Justice, in your recap of the Utah series. He's not one of those top four or five guys that we're talking about every week, but he's a guy that you know plays every day, plays well defensively for the most part, and kind of gets the job done. Um, and without guys like Wesniak, that Cal offense wouldn't be nearly as formidable as it is. Um, so as I was watching him this week, I just kind of harkened back to that conversation we had where he was like, the next guy's going to pick me up. I'm going to pick the next guy up, even if our big bats aren't producing. So Sam Wesniak. You are my player of the week this week. My player of the week, uh, I'm going to go a little different. You know, he, he was productive at the plate, but the one thing that really caught my eye was, you know, I'll just be honest, it, it's Darren Baker, and it's because of the Louis Vuitton shin guard. I was, okay, so I was at the USF game, and the way the USF press box is, it's, like, located to where your eye level is, like, on the ground, and so it's, like, kind of under, and it's located on the first base side. So I'm sitting. So I see like the back of lefties, and I see the front of righties, and you know I'm just watching them hit. I'm watching Darren Baker hit, and I see like the back of his shin guard is blue, and like with like some various designs on it. And I'm thinking, like, wait, is that Louis V? So then I like I take a photo with my phone, and then like I zoom in as far as I can go, and I'm like, wait, that totally is. And then like he just <laughs> he immediately won every single ounce of respect that I can give him. Also, I don't think I've noted it on this podcast. I did it a lot with the basketball one. But I will note that Darren Baker is half Filipino. Shout out to the islands. Shout out to my Filipinos. <laughs> I just need to know that every time someone's Filipino, I gotta note it. But then also, you know, he had a nice little game against USF as well. And, you know, I centered a lot of my recap on that game around, you know, just that one play, the steal of home, because that's a a really gutsy play at an important juncture in that game. And just to get to third as well, that's a real testament to his speed. 
you know, he legs out an infield single, steals second, advances to third on a wild pitch, and then, you know, has the, you know, the somewhat unconventional steal of home, but a steal of home nonetheless, and really, it gives Cal a three-run lead at the time, and it's also like the steal, the steal of home is probably the most exciting play of baseball. He also, you know, just barely got his hand in there. It was kind of a bang-bang play, and I think because of the two hits that he had in that USF series, he actually bumped his average up on the season to 302. And if memory serves correct now, Cal has six or seven players that regularly play that are batting at least 300. I think if, and I think Max Flowers batting like 298. So if you want to lump him into that, you have like seven players who are all hitting 300. Uh, There's actually a, a, a crazy play during the USF game that I should just throw out there. It was in the first, I think it was the first inning, it was really early in the game, and, you know, USF has, you know, a turf, so the ball bounces really easily. When you slide, you kind of just, like, glide a little bit. So, Max Flower, he, like, fouled a ball off of his foot. Well, he believes he fouled it off his foot, and it goes to the shortstop, and he, like, jogs, like, 10 feet, and he's just standing there. And, like, Corey Lee almost, like, so there's runners on second and third, and Corey Lee, like, almost gets, like, like a horrible base running mistake because the runner on third doesn't go but he goes so then he like scrambles back and i'm thinking by the time the shortstop gets it and he like because he tried to get lee out because he saw he was kind of back like flowers should have made it to first and i like look over and flowers just like standing 15 feet and he's like it hit my foot and, you know being really close to the field like you hear the conversation and, like the umpire's like no one caught it and they were just like he just kept saying it hit my foot repeatedly but that was just like a um like a little thing that happened in that USF game. But going back to Darren Baker, I did ask him after the game, he said he got it customized. He drew inspiration from Odell Beckham Jr., Kelly Oubre Jr., J.R. Smith, among others. And, you know, as a fan of baseball, I love to just see personality as well. And I think, Lucy, you were the one who who brought up the idea that we should, like, uh, address the uniforms a little bit because... You, you were of the opinion that the... the that was Max. Max was that of the was opinion. Max that was Max that, that was the opinionated one. That the, the <laughs> uniforms are a little... <laughs> that they're a little icy, so do you want to... I like all the uniforms, but I wanted to talk last week about their ice white jerseys, man. I think that definitely had something to do with Quinn Selma and Corey Lee hitting the home runs and coming back uh, in the ninth inning there. Because, you know what? Shout out Under Armour. Not just shout out Cal Bears, but shout out Under Armour. Also... You know, you like to see some swag on the baseball diamond because you don't always see that in baseball. And um, for Darren Baker to have, you know, Louis Vuitton shin guard, the ice white jerseys, I think Cal does a good job of bringing some swag to the diamond. I will say the only jersey that I'm not, like, a super big fan of, and I think, like, some of us might disagree, is, like, the yellow ones. I think it's just, like, a little, like... It's not like the right shade of gold. Like this is just personal opinion, Lucy. You're giving me. I like, agree. It's like mustard yellow. No, no, no. Yeah. I I'm in complete agreement with you, Justice. I think I'm the only one in the yellow jersey camp. I like the yellow jerseys with the California blue California mm. cursive over it. You are by nice. far the only one. Yeah. In that <laughs> yeah. Like, like even with the ba- yellow. Yeah. Even with the basketball team, it just like looked super off and. You know, I'm a I'm a really big fan of the on the opposite end of the spectrum, like their blue jerseys. Like I love when I they love the blue jerseys, they make, yeah. when they combine like the blue on top and the white on bottom. That's like my, by far my favorite combination. I think those are like by far like the waviest jerseys that they have. But Classic. you know, the ice whites and they're just regular grays. Both of them are just like 
crisp, like, and pristine. And I think it's, like, you know, the epitome of, like, look good, feel good, mm-hmm. play good. That was one of the questions that I asked Darren about, like, the Louis V. It's, like, does it sort of instill that mentality? And he kind of agreed with the sentiment. But, you know, shout out to the, <laughs> shout out to the whoever made the jerseys. Well, one funny thing I noticed, too, is that it's not just the team that gets this really good uniform swag, but my friend who is one of the student managers for the team is always in some different uniform-esque get-up every time, too. Like, he, I think he just, like, buys burritos and gets the water for the team, but he's always in some (laughs) sort of, like, yellow, white, blue windbreaker hat, snapback. So they really swag everybody out to get the morale up. There's there's definitely something to it. Like, there's definitely a different feeling, like, when you come out with a... A, a crisp little outfit as opposed to just throwing something on like you know that kind of like radiates too and it's like an infectious energy in a sense but you know we're talking about you know feeling good and playing good and you know looking ahead Cal's gonna they're gonna need to you know feel good play good in this upcoming series against Stanford and I think this is where a majority of our conversation will really take us for the rest of the podcast uh, Stanford the number two team in the nation one of the best and this is a really this is an important series for Cal. Joey, you're kind of like looking around. And oh no, I was just um. And then all, the only thing I have to say about the uniforms before we get into Stanford is like the yellow jerseys. I'm sorry, Max, are hideous. I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> I'll go to war with you over that. And my biggest complaint regarding our uniforms: those gray hats that we wear on the road have got to go. They look okay. like we are like chimney sweeps out there. <laughs> This is Mary Poppins, and we're a bunch of scruffy men in our gray caps going out there, getting ready to clean up. Some, it's, it's, it's not a thing. It needs to be eradicated from the uniform spectrum. Well, Spencer, I'm going to ask you to throw in your little output in here. What is, as, a, as a former baseball player, what's your sort of opinion on the jerseys that Cal's rocking? I, I agree 100% that what you, like what you guys were talking about, about the Louis V. Shin guard, to, you gotta, you got to look good to play good. I remember... Um, it being a, a huge topic of discussion between my teammates as to how good our uniforms are, would look, what we're wearing in terms of what tape we're wearing on our wrists and everything. Like we, it would, it 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 becomes to a it, it it comes to a point where it actually becomes superstitious as to where when you play good you wear certain things, and I feel like the more fresh you look, it definitely it definitely has a psychological impact on your play on the field. I guess last. That thing on the issue, or not the issue, on the topic of uniforms. Where where do y'all fall on like the on the socks? Do you go? Do you like to go the Manny pants, the the high socks, the stirrups? I'm personally a high socks type of person. I will go like when I was playing baseball, I would go the high socks combo with the like the long sleeve combo. That was personally me. If I had, because I know a lot of baseball players, they wear like the little turtleneck that kind of makes it look like a hoodie. I think I would definitely be rocking that back. And, you know, I didn't have the, the access to it, but I think I definitely would have been wearing some, like, Jordan cleats, too. <laughs> just go, like, full all-out swag. I know they, they yeah. can't. I know they probably can't just because of, like, uh, sponsorships, but just, I like to. I think it depends on position, to be completely honest. That's true. Yes, it does. It's a great point. And also, if you're going to throw it back, you have to go pants high, 100%. Mm-hmm. If you're going to wear throwback yeah. uniforms, pants high is the way to go. But I think Joey was mentioned to me yesterday. If you're at first and third, you gotta wear pants down. Absolutely. So, I think it depends. We we saw Joey Votto out there and he had his pants up and I'm like, dude, you're a first baseman. You hit dingers. Like this is not the way I go. Leave that to the shortstops, the center fielders. Leave it to the second baseman. You gotta have your pants down, bro. <laughs> but 
Joey Votto's a diff- he's different. He kind of has that old school ball player look about him. And if there's any team who like just looks old school, it's kind of the Reds, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't know. Definitely. So he's different. But like I see Albert Pujols with his pants up, and I'm like, that's just it doesn't work, dude. <laughs> well, the Reds the Reds actually were just coming off a series against the Giants where they were wearing a lot of like mm-hmm. their early like 20th century throwbacks. I know that Derek Dietrich had the he, they were wearing like these weird like all blue jerseys and then he like untucked it to where it was like the middle of his chest and he's wearing a chain and then he had like a an eye black mustache it was one of like the the greatest exhibitions of swagger that i've ever seen out of a baseball player joey i know that you got to head out so you know we'll pause really quick real here and we'll give you the opportunity to step out uh quitter uh, no, said that. <laughs> nah but it is it is dead week we got to take that into account you know on a side note, thank y'all for all making it here because it is dead week. And no, we studying over. Well, y'all are seniors. Y'all got senioritis. I don't, <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking for reasons to procrastinate man. at this <laughs> point. We finally, we finally got the full team in here. Joey just came in here to talk uh, talk smack about the uh, the great chimney sweet hats, Australia <laughs> jerseys. Voice my grievances. But, uh, yeah. But uh, thank you for having me on, you guys. It's been a pleasure as always. I'll be back next week and. Uh, I'm gonna go. St- I'm gonna go scout Stanford. So I'll let you guys know what's good. So, Stanford. You know, Cal. You know, just the Cal and Stanford. You know, typical Pac-12 conference rivals. Nothing of note there. No real. Nah, who's kidding? It's Stanford, <laughs> and I think this is probably one of the more momentous series against Stanford that Cal has had in quite some time. You know, you talk about last year they didn't make the tournament even though they were a bubble team. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of narratives that you can have going into this. You know, David Esker, the guy who recruited a lot of the juniors on this team. You know, Corey Lee, Sabori, Cameron Eden, among others, they're going to have to go against their former coach. And they've done it before. They did it last season. But especially with the stakes of this series, how this series has major postseason implications. And, you know, there's a lot of places where, you know, we can start off our little conversation about Stanford, but I think you know the place that we got to start is the RPI and what this what a series win can potentially do for Cal. You know they currently sit at 37. I think Stanford like they sit 22 in the RPI for some reason, but they're ranked uh, the second team in the country. So if Cal can man- like if Cal can manage to well what what would sort of be this is my question to pose for you two is. What would constitute a successful series for Cal? Because when you're talking about a ranked team, it's you know what they've previously done with LSU and Oregon State and UCLA. They've gone one of three. But you know you're talking about a Cal team that's red hot, and you're talking about them being at home as opposed to you know in Louisiana, in Corvallis, in Westwood. So you know you have this on one end. It's a ranked team, second best team in the country. On the other end, you're at home. You have, you know, home field advantage. It's a rivalry game. There's going to be a packed house. So, what would constitute a successful series in y'all's minds? For me, I feel like, based on the history of the season, I would almost expect Cal to at least take one of this series, just because they've always been able to keep all of their their games against ranked teams pretty close. They've usually or always have been able to take at least one in every series that they've where they've played a ranked team. Um, 
I think an ultimate success would be them taking two games, though I think the point that you make about the the kind of home diamond advantage is I think the jury's still out, in my opinion, on the actual impact of home field advantage for the team because every time that they have played a series at home, it has been a team that they have been projected to beat. So I think they really haven't had the experience yet or we haven't been able to see whether or not actually being at home is going to make an impact. But um, I would say one is expected, two would be surprising, but an extreme success. And I don't know how much being at home is going to have to do with it. Yeah, I think going up against the number one team, or no, the number two team, yeah. excuse me, even even if they got swept, I think that would be a kind of a downer for them. Um, I think it would hurt them in the RBI, RPI. Um, I think taking one and being competitive in another one, which is what they've done in pretty much every series against the, the top opponent so far, um, would be a successful series, although you might not feel great coming out of it, but I think it's successful in terms of you know, postseason projections and, and Pac-12 seeding as far as that. Um, I think they could take two, but I, I agree with you, Lucy. I, I do think it kind of remains to be seen seen how much of a home team they really are because they've been great at home this season, but they really haven't played anyone who's who you would say you know might be better than them other than BYU who's ranked higher than them in a one-game playoff or a one-game um, kind of stint on a Monday. Um, I don't know. I, I would say one would be all right, two would be ideal. I definitely don't see them sweeping Stanford, um, and I don't see them getting swept either. So I would say kind of in that that – competitive one to two game range would be successful for this team yeah you go back to the past weekend series that cal has had at home you know you had oregon a couple weekends ago and you know oregon's a competitive team but not in the same valor as you know a ucla or a stanford you had washington state which was the worst team in the pac-12 mm-hmm. by record you had long beach state who i can't remember the number off top but i think it might have been three wins at the time so you you know they have had a really good home record as of late but with the you know with the exception of BYU, most of the opponents that they've played have been teams that you know on paper those are teams that you have to win. But in regards to Stanford, I've kind of I've flip flopped on you know one or two wins because you know if you look back on what they've done previously against ranked teams, it's they've taken one of three. They took one of three against LSU. They took one of three from Oregon State. They took one of three from UCLA. But you know, the more that I look at it, the more I consider how hot this team is, the more I consider how, you know, compact the you know, the ultimate selection of regionals is, I think this is a series where they have to win two games and really prove themselves as a contender. And, you know, it's, you know, you can, you know, I'm, as I'm saying this, I'm going back and forth between whether I, you know, one game would warrant a successful series or two. But I think my rationale with the two falls in that, you know, if you can if you can be competitive at like on the road, and here's the thing, I'll also say this to sort of bolster my rationale. If you look at those series against LSU, Oregon State, and UCLA, they went three and six. There's conceivably a scenario, you know, based on how close that they were, that Kyle could have came out of those games seven and two, and I'll explain. 
Four of those six losses were by one run. There was two in the LSU series, there was one in the Oregon State series, and there was one in the UCLA series, that one being the game in which they blew a 7-3 lead. And so my rationale is, if you can be that competitive on the road, and you know, you do have this young team, they're like they're growing on the spot. When I interviewed New for the Stanford preview, he mentioned that, you know, a lot of guys who typically haven't played have been playing and you know the comfort level has increased. And you also have to consider that they've also faced against elite pitching before. You know, Oregon State, that's a top five ERA in the country. UCLA, that's a top five ERA in the country. And so what ultimately leads me to believe that this is a series that they need to take is it would be the ultimate exhibition of growth. You know, you've been in four super competitive games against four super good teams, one of them being the number one team in the country. What have you learned in those three series? And even the BYU game, too, that was a 3-2 mm-hmm. win, and they, they really had to hang on to that one. You know, BYU's no Stanford, but, you know, it's ultimately in the same realm of being a top 25 team in the country. And so, again, my rationale is what have they been able to learn in those three three series and what experience have they gained and especially with this Utah series where you know you have a lot of you know confidence and swagger going into it and you know Darren Baker in the USF game he's stealing home that's like the epitome of swagger but I think it's in order to really prove and really lock themselves in as a tournament team because I think if they win two of three like that's as close to a lock as you're going to get to the tournament barring you know a complete catastrophe against Arizona State and Washington so you know, it's 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 tough to say one of three or two of three, but I think at the end of the day, just to just to, you know, kind of just go against you two and you know, create a little <laughs> bit of a conversation. I'm gonna go two of three, and that would warrant a successful series in my mind. Yeah, and even to go off or continue that point on how those games, how close those games were in the LSU series, they had the lead going into the final inning um, in all three of those games, and they had one double header. Um, where they played seven innings each, so they didn't go the full nine, but uh, they didn't get really a chance after they gave up runs in the six um, to come back from that. But they could have conceivably swept LSU early on the road. Um, I think OSU, they were up early in a game that they lost, and then you mentioned the 73-7-3 blown lead. Uh, I don't know. It's it's hard for me to say. I don't want to put, as Lucy was saying, in, uh, too much emphasis on whether or not that's on the road. Because I feel like if you play those teams at home, Cal might get those same results. You might see a similar kind of scenario at home. Um, but I still think it's important, especially kind of to protect your house. You know, we'll see with Stanford how much um, Cal values playing at Evans Di- Diamond versus on the road. Um, and to your said, I think committee in all in all NCAA sports really takes into account kind of the, tra- the trajectory of a team. Um, and if they came out of the Stanford series with two out of three wins, they're definitely a lock, and they're probably staying hot, you know, through the ASU series at home and hopefully taking that to Washington on the road. Yeah, I mean, I think if they were to take two, the thing that I see as being absolutely necessary is that they're going to have to activate every single person on the batting order. You know, we've seen scenarios where only the top five are creating action. And then as we talked about a little earlier in this podcast, we've seen this past weekend where 
the majority of the offensive action was being generated by those in the bottom. Um, and I think one interesting stat that I was looking at how, Justice, you were saying we now have six um, six players batting over 300. Um, looking at Stanford stats, they only have five. Um, granted, I don't know what that really, what difference that really makes, but I think that just goes to show really if every single person can bat as, you know, as their average or higher, they, that is what will be necessary for them to even consider, like conceivably take two. Yeah, you might need another Jared Horn Saturday too. Yeah. Um, like we saw at UCLA when they picked up that Saturday win. Yeah, especially because because of that Stoutenboro sickness that really derailed the you know what they traditionally like to do. It's really thrown that pitching rotation not in a state of flux, but it's definitely changed up the way that they've had to approach you know their last two series. You talk about that um, first game of the Utah series. You know, they stretch out Sabori a little bit. He goes 3.2 innings, and then you got to call on your bullpen from there, and it becomes a bullpen game. And as we've mentioned, you know, the bullpen has been that real one area that we point to that could ultimately be this Cal team's Achilles heel. So you are going to, you might, you know, it's hard to just, you know, expect some guy to go out and give you eight innings, but ultimately, you know, a horn start in which he goes seven innings or even eight innings, that might not be. You know what's necessary for you know Cal to be able to really take that Saturday game. Yeah, that tells you how much how good Jared Horn's been too. If that's like oh we're asking this of him, but just to preserve those arms for the other two games too. I mean, um, I think workload on this young staff is is important in this series to like kind of keep Cal afloat or Cal, keep Cal within striking distance against this good pitching staff. So you know hopefully Stoutenborough can can. You know, give a good outing too. He's kind of emerged as as a good starter, um, and then Horn too. We're, they're going to need all hands on deck for this series. Yeah, you know, one thing that I that just popped into my mind that I think could be or not be a factor are kind of things that are occurring externally to baseball. Like we were mentioning, I don't know if this it makes no sense, but. We were talking about how it's kind of a miracle we're all here because it's dead week. Oh, I know. And I'm know wondering if all these players are going to be, like, stressed out thinking about other things, you know, have a paper to turn in on Monday, and there's, like, want this game to go quick. I, I mean, I'm sure at this point in the season, all of their top priority, what they're thinking about 24-7 is the team, but... I can't help but wonder if that is also some sort of factor. That's not something that's going on for Stanford. They go until late June, mm. so who knows? Yeah, life of a college athlete. Uh, definitely. I mean, that hadn't even occurred to me. Um, but, yeah, with Stanford being on that quarter system, they're just kind of – they might be going through midterms, but it's nothing like finals. When you got a, when you got a game at four, but you got an essay that's two and five, stuff of that <laughs> nature. <laughs> Yeah, I remember that was actually Jasper's lead for uh, his track uh, preview in that, you know, they're also going to have to grapple with studying for finals in addition to having to worry about what, in sort of a metaphorical sense, could be, you know, the, the finals equivalent of a series, you know, mm-hmm. when we talk about the importance of this series. So, yeah, that's, not like, that's something I didn't even think about. And 
it, it reminds me of how last last spring I was at Main Stacks and I saw Justice suing a, a fellow Justice, also another fellow uh, Filipino. Shout out! But <laughs> I saw him at Main Stacks and I like you know I said what's up to him and we were just talking a little bit and then like we kind of went our separate ways. But you know there's the thing. It's like these are just athletes. You know they're student athletes. And, you know, that is, you know, I think there are some liberties that are taken. I'm pretty sure at the beginning of every semester, these guys, like, give their teachers their, you know, their schedule. But I do know that, you know, even with that being said, these guys are still going to have to sort of adapt their lives. They can't, like, these teachers can only be so flexible with them because you know if they might have five athletes and the other 500 kids in the class are just regular students so yeah that is going to be something that you know i didn't even think about that you know how much of a factor that might play into it especially because you consider you know these guys don't play at seven or they don't play at 12 they like have to get there a couple hours prior and then after showering and like the physical drain on your body stuff of that nature and i'm i'm curious now we're kind of going down this wormhole with this conspiracy that I brought up, but <laughs> I know that there's not really a huge student following for baseball. You know, most people I see in the stands are parents, the most loyal Cal baseball fans, um, families, a lot of little league, a lot of little leaguers, and maybe a, a couple small groups of students or like significant others or something. But um, I wonder, too, if that will really mean that the crowd is sort of thinned or I guess the, the, the crowd was nev never really comprised of students anyway. So I don't know if that will have an impact on kind of attendance and morale at the game itself as we're talking about the potential importance of home field advantage. But that's just one other factor. That's another great point, too, because you got to think these games fall Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you know, dead week is you know no classes whatsoever. But you also got to think there's also you know study sessions, there's review sessions, meeting with TAs, this, that, and the third. But Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that's just kind of it. I don't, you know, you don't really hear too much about study sessions on like a Friday or Saturday or Sunday. So in terms of being 100% free, those are probably like prime time days and like really your last effort to get stuff out and you know really get that you know the core chunk of your studying and it because you know these games they're not you know college baseball games aren't as long as major league games they'll maybe go two and a half like two hours two and a half hours but what you do y'all remember that little that picture that popped up with the professor who was like you got to dedicate like 11 hours a day to studying and it's like you got to do like you really got to like allocate your time to a t and like i was talking with a friend about this actually and it's you know you can't say I'm gonna study for three hours on the dot, then I'm gonna eat for 15 minutes and five seconds. It's like, you gotta have that, you know, that floating time to, if you're a student, walk to the game, eat, uh, maybe have a, a couple of beverages. We're gonna, we'll keep that behind the curtains. <laughs> but, you know, think of me about that as well. And I, you know, that's a great point, you know, what the student turnout might be. But I will say this, if we're doing our jobs right, you just, uh, you wrote the feature on Darren, Joey wrote the feature on Vaughn, you know, we have the podcast going. We got, you know, articles churning out. I think if we're doing our jobs, maybe we're maybe we're the ones to generate that little bit of interest. So who knows on, in regards to that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think people will come out for Stanford. Uh, 
especially on Sunday. Uh, it's supposed to be nice on Sunday, 1 p.m. first pitch. Uh, I mean, and it is Stanford. It's not just the number three team in the nation. Uh, normally, you see with Cal soccer games, the El Clasico of the Bay Area, um, people show out for that. So hopefully we'll get a good crowd. And I think that'll help the home field advantage as much as anything. But um, to your point, I mean, it takes time just to kind of like lock in mentally, not even being present at um, the ballpark warming up. You have to like, you know, be ready to play against the number two team in the nation. That That is no easy feat in itself. Um, so if you're trying to allocate three hours to studying on a dot, 30 minutes for lunch, get to the ballpark, you know, do a bullpen session, stuff like that. I mean, it's a lot more mentally taxing, you know, than it could be physically, especially if you have finals, papers, things of that nature do. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really mean to have to have us go down a rabbit hole then or bring up any minute details, but I think it is really important to consider every single potential influencing factor, especially as we have talked about how we're flipping back and forth between one or two games. Will they just have all this pent-up stress from finals and just sweep, you know, who knows? But um, I think this is a series where every single detail, every single external factor that can be controlled should be controlled in order to make it competitive, you know? I think on the flip side of, you know, how this might be a detriment to, you know, final studying, I think in a, you know, in a way, while it may be that they, you know, you got to allocate for the game and warm-ups and stuff of that nature, and you really got to dedicate almost three quarters of your day just to one game on the flip side of that you know something that we here at berkeley don't talk about enough or prioritize enough rather is the idea of you know self-care and maybe you know in the time that they're not on the baseball field they're just grinding 24 7 or however long they can study but then it's like oh i'm gonna get on the baseball field you mean i don't gotta do my readings right now i don't gotta worry about an essay right now like all that i gotta focus on is baseball so as you mentioned, like, you know, the energy that's pent up during dead week, all that time in the library and studying all the reading, it's like, because, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to describe the world that you encompass or like what you may constitute as your world until you're outside of that domain. And you like for these athletes, you know, they're student athletes. So you have the, you, have, you know, the student aspect of it, the, the athlete aspect of it, like one is one world. The other is another. There's like a you know a bit of an intersection, but you know there's that opportunity to really escape the bubble of one and jump into the other. I talk about this a lot as a commuter. I live in Hercules, and I commute to Berkeley every day. And one of the beauties of that is I have this opportunity to escape that bubble and really you know enter another one. And there's something to that because you know. You can be in the same geographical location, but there's just a different vibe to it. And the vibe you get in a classroom is a lot different from the vibe you're going to get in the stadium. So in a weird way, maybe they're like, like, all right, this is the one time I got to like really do what I love. Like, let's go. This is my time to shine. Like, this is my time to be away from these books. Let's go. Let's get it. And so, and like you, you kind of mentioned, like, this doesn't really fall in like the domain of like, like quote unquote baseball, but, you know you know student athletes as well but you know you got to consider everything and i think this this was a really good point to bring up so like i appreciate you for bringing this Thank up this you. is like a conversation i had like i didn't even think about this 
Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to bring it up. <laughs> I think this is well, I think this is a good place to sort of leave off here. Do we have any final thoughts on uh, the Stanford series before we get out of here and uh, inevitably get back to the studying that we are very much talking about right now? I think it's going to be a good series. I think it's going to be competitive. Hopefully Cal can win too. I think if they win too, it's big. Um, but and hopefully Stanford, the Stanford dynamic puts some butts in the seats. People show up for um, for Cal, and it'll be a good atmosphere at Evans Diamond. Yeah, I honestly wish this series was pushed back a week. So I have been telling my family I'm going to take them to a Cal baseball game when they come for graduation. And it would have been so exciting if this series had been next weekend instead of this weekend so they could come. But either way, really excited to see what happens and see who makes the, the big hits because it seems to be a different a different culprit every single time, you know? Yeah, no disrespect to Arizona State, but there's, there's Cal and there's Stanford. And that would have been, you know, being able to watch that series without having to worry about final, well, I guess you have a Friday, if you have a Friday final, but not having to worry about school for the most part, just even those two Saturday, Sunday games, that would have been beautiful. So the timing of it is a little unfortunate. I was kind of, I was talking with Spencer about this before we started, and I was thinking, you know, maybe if it fell, like, next weekend, maybe we can, like, dedicate, like, individual articles to it instead of, like, bunching it in this recap just to emphasize like really how important this series is because you know this like this series could really determine like the next you know how the next six games go and whether this team does play into June I do think that they've uh, sort of accumulated enough rapport to where even if they have like kind of a shoddy series here they can still you know come back with a good showing against Arizona State and Washington but if they can do something big here you know take two of three even like if they sweep, I don't. I wouldn't even know how to react if they sweep, honestly, just because of the valor that this Stanford team has held in. But you know, I think it'll be like a really fun series, regardless. One more thing, also that I just thought I'm having so many serendipitous thoughts See, right this now. This is the My brain of being able to step out the library. But I was just thinking, Max, you and I are about to graduate. That's right. We have never seen Cal beat Stanford in football. Ah. Over these four years, maybe this is our last hope at a, you know, at a big game, big game win. a big game upset. Yeah. You know, are we forgetting the basketball team exists? Yes, we we're disregarding them for a second. <laughs> I think Rory and Serena wins. would like to have a word. <laughs> yeah, we had a couple soccer wins, right? Did has Cal some... soccer ever beaten beaten Stanford in the last uh, four years? I think so. I'm not entirely sure. Serena is like our stats person. We, Serena, <laughs> it, it would be good to end the college career with with a victory over uh, Stanford, but uh, that's just my personal opinion. But um, yeah, this is their one gold moment this week. There it is, tagline. There we go. <laughs> so hopefully by next weekend we got some some entertaining baseball to talk about. And until then, Justin Del Santos, Max Menemeyer, Lucy Schaefer. Joey Patton, although he's not here, Jose Patron, he was here for a second, so I don't know what the where that falls in the here in like physically versus in spirit. Uh, Spencer Galanka, you know, chilling. I don't know what he's doing right now. Is he might be making a beat in silence? <laughs> <laughs> he's doing some some, some mimery. <laughs> but until then, we'll get back to y'all next week. Hopefully, we get another full squad in here to really talk about what goes down in that Stanford series. Till next time.
Peace.